Please join me as we recite the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have been able to gather together this morning. Focus our attention upon you, the desires of your heart, what your word has to say, to sing songs of the faith. Father, to be blessed and to understand that, that you have provided the ability for us to live in a nation where we have freedom to do just this. As we reflect back over our 246 years, there have been a lot of ups and downs, but Father, consistently you have undergirded men and women who have deep faith in you to continue to guide and direct this nation. And I pray that, Father, we will continue to be reminded of our Christian forefathers who had the insight to desire to be a light to the world. And I pray, God, that each one of us would be a light in the community in which we live, with our family, with our friends, and Father, to this great nation. Most importantly, I pray in humility that, God, we would let you be the Lord of each of our lives. It's the desire, the thrust, and Father, help that, that desire to let you be the Lord of our life, to catapult us into environments and places where we can make a difference for your kingdom. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time and the opportunity to be here at First Baptist Church Sun City West for our time of worship and celebration. It's a great, uh, great weekend. We look forward to this all the time because it is a focus of being able to say, you know what, we're free to do this. I can send you to numbers of places, um, articles that right at this very moment in North Korea, there are people, Christians, 
underground that are being taken, persecuted, some put to death. We have the ability to come together to worship, but we also have the ability and the freedom to pray for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted around the world. Don't ever take that for granted. So thank you for taking the opportunity and the time to come and to enjoy this very special time as we give God the glory. This is the very first time you've ever been here. We'd love for you to take the guest card in the pew in front of you and fill it out in its entirety. And when you get ready to leave today, if you'll just put it in one of the offering boxes, we would certainly appreciate that. Now I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to sing. No, I guess we're not. The choir's going to sing. Thank you for putting this bulletin right in front of me. So if you would, just enjoy the choir because the pieces they're going to sing are just marvelous. Thank you. 
privilege of being in this country. We thank you for our birthday for our country. And mostly, we thank you for Jesus, who died for us, that we may have eternal life. So I pray, Lord God, if there only be one, one person that doesn't know you, that today would be the day that they would surrender their heart. I ask for your blessings throughout this whole service, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Him, it's been a while since we've sung. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. So would you stand as we sing? Stand up, stand up. 
Thank you, ladies. That is the sound of heaven's angels. Mm. This weekend, we celebrate America's 246th birthday. Among many ancient civilizations and nations of the world, that is just very young. But when you are born as a citizen of this country, or when you become a citizen of this country by the means directed by our government, the Constitution, there are great benefits. There are things that we embrace uh, that are very special to us. There are also obligations. In fact, there are nine obligations that I want to just quickly mention to you in case you might have forgotten them. That as a citizen of the United States of America, you need to support and defend the Constitution. Stay informed of the issues affecting your community. Participate in the democratic process, that's voting. Respect and obey the federal, state, and local laws. Respect the rights, beliefs, and opinions of others. Participate in your local community. Pay income and other taxes honestly, on time, to federal, state, and local authorities. For, serve on a jury when called upon, and defend the country if the need should arise. Nine things, obligations, that as an American citizen, you take on. You take on those those obligations, part of the great benefits that we have. And this is true in so many cultures around the world, all the way through ancient times. That as citizens of any country, there are certain obligations that you must embrace. We look at our passage today, just one verse from the Apostle Paul, and you remember that Paul is in prison in Rome, and he's writing the church at Philippi. Philippi is a Roman colony, which is very important. The context that Paul is writing in, the people of Philippi, they understood the context. They understood what he was striving to get across, and that's what I want to address today. 
In verse 27 of Philippians chapter 1, the scripture says, So that through my being, my apologies, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. The phrase I want to address, and in particular a word that I think is so critical, is in the first part of verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The King James Version says, Only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, there's a 400-year difference, basically, in the terminology. 1611, the word conversation had a different meaning than it does today. Today, when we talk about a conversation, we mean talking. Having a conversation, sitting down across the table and, and chatting about things. But that's not the meaning of the word in this passage. Therefore, the best translation is going to come about as the word conduct. So the NIV says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves. And that's what I want to concentrate on. Conduct. Literally, it means a manner of life or the way that you live when measured against that which is expected of you. Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to look at anybody else, but I want you to conduct yourself. I want you to live your life. I want you to put everything into your life as it's measured against what's expected of you. And so what's expected of us, well, he says it. The standard is to be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the standard by which Paul is saying we are to conduct ourselves. That puts a whole different twist on things, because we conduct ourselves according to maybe traditions or maybe what we've learned in the past. We focus upon Scripture and how we conduct ourselves, but sometimes we kind of cherry-pick the things that we like, and we kind of say, ah, oh, those other things, they don't matter as much. But Paul is coming across to this church and trying to give them an understanding within the context of being a Roman colony of what that means. What does it mean to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? I think there's a great parallel here between what he is driving at with, uh, with this colony and the believers within this Roman colony and as we as believers in Christ. We are part of, we are first and foremost a citizen of heaven. And he wants us to get an understanding, as he did the church at Philippi, about what that means. So let's talk about that just a while. To understand conduct, I think it's important for us to understand uh, a Roman colony. Since Philippi was a Roman colony, as Paul was writing this, he had in mind there are certain obligations that you have as being Roman citizens. If you're part of a colony, you become a Roman citizen, there are some things that you are obligated to do. Number one, a colony was Roman in every sense of the word. If you were part of a Roman colony, you were a Roman. A colony was Rome's method of conquest. 
The objective was to go in, to conquer, to colonize, and to absorb them into the greater understanding of the Roman Empire. A colony was also governed by Rome. Local officials, they had some authority, but in reality, the officers were appointed by Rome, by Caesar. And they didn't have to answer to the people of the community. They answered directly to Caesar. Also, we find that colonies were expected to show the advantages of being Roman. If you were part of a, of a colony in, in Philippi, the Romans expected you as part of that. As they're conquering and absorbing you into their greater society, the expectation was that you were going to show how good it was to be a Roman citizen. You remember that Paul in Acts chapter 16, he was at Philippi, he was beaten because they didn't know that he was a Roman citizen. And so he looked at them and said, you have beaten me without a trial. And it put fear into the officials at Philippi. Because there was an advantage to be a, being a Roman citizen. You had due process. You had to take, in, you couldn't just be beaten on the street. You had to go through a trial. That was an advantage of being a Roman, a due process. Now there's a parallel that Paul is wanting us to understand as believers in Christ. What does conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ mean to us today, 2022? Well, I'm, I'm a firm believer that a Christian's citizenship is in heaven first and foremost. Uh, we, we enjoy and we love the rights of being Americans. And I want to tell you that first and foremost, you're a citizen of heaven if you have a faith in Jesus Christ. Because there will come a time when these boundaries will no longer be here. This mortal life will no longer be here. And so where is our citizenship? It's in heaven. I remember hearing a prayer years ago that uh, somebody prayed, in heaven save us. And I wanted to say, no, no. Either you're saved on this side of heaven, or you're not saved at all. There's not another opportunity as you pass through life. It is vital for you to make that decision here. The reality is that a Christian citizenship in heaven, that, that his eternal life begins at the point of salvation when he or she calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. At that point, your name is written into the Lamb's book of life, and it can't be removed, erased, or blotted out by anyone. John chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Present tense. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There are some phrases here that I just love. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. That's how we know that we have that relationship with him. He says, I know them. That word know means intimately. There's a transformation that takes place. His spirit lives inside of us. So he knows us. And he says, they follow me. That's an obligation that Jesus is expecting on each and every one of us. Not to just when we want to. Not just when we feel like it. Not just if it lines up with whatever our personal opinions is, are. Now the reality is, he says, they, he, they follow me. Because when we're following Jesus, we're following perfection. 
He also said, I give them eternal life. Give them in the present tense. Begins at the moment that we ask Christ to come into our life. And he says, they're never going to perish. You know, this movement from this mortal world to heaven is just a transition. Our soul never dies. It just continues on into a spiritual, heavenly, eternal body. Whatever that looks like. Death can be a painful event between the physical and the spiritual as you're taking those last steps. But that soul, your soul, redeemed and transformed by Jesus, just continues on. And your eternal life continues on. Jesus said in John 14, 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself. Jesus, in this time frame, is preparing that place because he knows that there is a transition that's about to take place for each and every one of us. He says, so when I, I will come back and I will take you with me to be where I am. He's going to take us. There's not a death where we're just spiritually put into the ground. That is a transition. Our eternal life continues on. So I think that's a really important thing. Our, our citizenship... Eternal life is in heaven, first and foremost. Secondly, a Christian is governed by God and not social culture or the social norms. And this shouldn't cause issues for us. God's law is higher than anything. When God's laws and the laws of men come into conflict, then God's law always takes precedent. Roger Williams First Baptist preacher in, uh, in the United States, that was Rhode Island. He wrote many articles. His writings, if you've ever tried to read them, not the easiest to read, but they are profound. His understanding of soul liberty is powerful. Through that, he says, individuals should not be hindered in their individual expression of religion. And that's one of the co-foundational points of our own nation, that we ought to have the freedom to worship, the freedom of speech, the freedom to be able to do the things that God wants us to. Why is that? Because God has given us that ability in creation. He gave us the ability to say yes or no, the freedom of choice. Society and culture says, you know, what I want, or what we want, is important. But the reality is that there are no absolutes. There's no absolute truth. In society, truth is defined by whoever's in power and their opinions of what that truth is and the following that they have. And so that's why from generation to generation, there may be different things that take place because it's not absolute truth. It continues to vary back and forth depending on those in power. But it's not so with God. God's word is living and powerful. It is absolute truth because the creator is perfect. And what the creator speaks is perfect and absolute. You can count on it. 
When he led the Apostle Paul to say in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, If he eat me to defend my brother, I will eat no more meat. He establishes a humility on our part. A deep-seated compassion and concern for others. That says, what God's desire is greater than what I desire. So Paul says, if it's going to offend my brother, even if it's a weaker brother, then I'm going to stop doing it. Because... God wants that weaker brother to grow and to mature. And so as we look for Christian life in our own lives, we, we always should look to the concern of others. And so God's law, God's principles, that which he puts in place, always supersedes if there's ever an issue. Third, we find that a Christian is here to show the advantages of eternal relationship with both God and and our Lord Jesus Christ, and to live a Christ-like life. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly or more fully. There is an idea, an understanding here, that what Jesus wants in us is a transformation so we not only will have eternal life, but we'll grow spiritually. We'll have that deepening relationship with him. We'll live a Christ-like life while we're here upon this earth. And I promise you that people, what people see in you concerning your Christian faith, will impact them more than reading a book or hearing a sermon. When they look at you and they watch you and say, man, I tell you what, that person is absolutely amazing. And I think it's probably because of their Christian faith. Or they can look at, at a believer and say, wow, you guys go to church? I didn't realize that by you know what you said and what you did. It speaks volumes. Jesus has allowed us to stay here for the very purpose of showing people the way, continuing to grow spiritually. I want you to know that you are here to model and to influence others toward a return, an eternal relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are critical points in the word conduct. This is how we are to conduct ourselves. Secondly, we ask the question, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. How is that? Well, listen, this has a special background. It refers to the duties and the natural part of citizenship. When you go back to Roman colonies, as Paul is writing this letter to, uh, to the church at Philippi, with their understanding of being a Roman and living in a Roman colony, we find that there were some special obligations. Number one, they were to live in harmony with local law, but Rome always took precedence. You do what you do in Philippi, but it cannot conflict with what Roman law is. For instance, in Acts 25, when Paul said in Caesarea, when he was on trial, he said, I appeal to Caesar. And Festus said, to Caesar you shall go. There was no alternative. Festus didn't see any reason for him to be sent to Rome, and yet Paul appealed. Roman law takes more precedent than even that local regional official. To change that. Colonies are to behave like Romans. Their actions are not to discredit or to embarrass Rome. So as a Roman, as a, as a colony of Rome, you're to live up your highest and your best. Also, colonies were expected to perform like colonies, to perform like Roman citizens who have been transformed and absorbed into society. And here are three things that they were specifically that they were 
were called on to do. Number one, they were to defend the Roman way of life when called upon. They were to be able to say, listen, this is the advantages of being a Roman. And as a colony, we, de- we, we like that. It's a defensive mechanism. Second is an offensive. They were to take up arms when they were called to do so. They were to fight for Rome. And third, they were expected to pay taxes, to pay tributes to Caesar. So there was a financial obligation. So in the Roman colonies, there were some special obligations that they were required to do. And the same is true for for believers in Christ. Here, the apostle Paul is writing the, the church at Philippi, and he gives them an understanding of how you conduct yourselves, how you live your life as a believer in Christ when your citizenship is in heaven, because right now you're kind of in a colony. He said a Christian should live in harmony with society, but God, God's law always takes precedence. And there shouldn't be a conflict here. There is at times, but there shouldn't be. Paul said in Romans 13, 3, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. Now, I know there are evil empires and evil, evil leaders where this comes into conflict. But Paul's trying to get across to the church at Philippi. If you live and conduct yourself as a believer in Christ and follow through with the duties and be the kind of citizen that you're supposed to be, then Rome's not going to bother you. It shouldn't bother you. It's the same way in our own lives. A Christian should act like a Christian. And that means a definition And what is a Christian? A person who's been transformed by Jesus Christ. A person who takes on to this conduct that we're talking about. It means that we should not be obsessed with society's goals or objectives because most of the time they are self-serving or self-centered. The problem lies when we become so absorbed with the way society is going, we somehow are not as strong in our spiritual life as we should be. We should stand up for what's right. We should do the things that we need to as a believer in Christ. But let me tell you what, the song is correct when it says we're just passing through. Our roots are not here, they're in heaven. Therefore, as a Christian citizen, we ought to be everything that we can be. Live in harmony with society as long as it does not conflict with what God's desire is. Paul says in verse 27, worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the standard. We ought to live our lives, conduct our lives, worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that means specifically to weigh as much as you should. He's not talking about physical weight here. What he's talking about is that you ought to live your life. You ought to be the believer that he wants you to be. Grow in your maturity. Understand the scripture. Live it out in your life. Make sure that you are carrying your weight as a believer in Christ. Be all that God wants you and has called you to be. Don't just slough off. Don't say, well, I'm I'm getting near the finish line here in the senior adult community. No, this is the very time for you to shine. This is the time for you to be able to do so much, to grow so much spiritually, and to actually engage in being a light to this world. 
you go to Galatians chapter 5, and I'll not read this entire scripture, but zeroed in on verses 22 and 23, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. This is a wonderful way for us to be all that we can be, the fruit of the Spirit, and everything is identified in verses 22 and 23 and 24 on to 26. Also, we find that Christian should accept his or her responsibilities. We don't need to pass them off. In other words, here's some, here's some verses that help us to understand these are the things that we should do. Number one, like the Romans, we ought to be somewhat defensive. In other words, the scripture says, be ready to give an answer. Be ready to give an answer. As a believer in Jesus Christ, at any point, you ought to be able to give an answer of why you have a faith in Jesus Christ, why he has changed your life, why he has transformed you, and why you follow him completely. Give an answer. Kind of an apologetics, an understanding, a defense of why the gospel of Jesus Christ has changed my life. Because when you share your personal testimony about what Jesus has done for you, nobody can discredit that. They may not agree with it, but they can't say that didn't happen because it happened to you. Secondly is the offensive. He has told us to go out and to be a light to the world. To go and do that. In fact, a scripture says that if we do that, the gates of hell will not prevail. For so many centuries, people thought about, well, they won't be able to prevail because we have this fortress mentality of being a believers, and, and hell will not be able to actually break into where we are. But the reverse is what is true. That when we become focused upon doing all that Christ wants us to do, to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. The gates of hell will not even be able to prevail against us. People will come to know Christ at every level if we're doing all that he desires us to do. And another obligation or responsibility is that of financial. Just like the Romans paid taxes, the Old Testament in Malachi says bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Paul says be a cheerful giver. There are responsibilities as believers that we need to engage. That's how we conduct ourselves. The last thing I want to talk about in this parallel. He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. It had to do with the aim of the colony. The aim of the Roman colony was to secure and to extend the borders. That, that's what Rome wanted to do. And it did so by making new citizens that was a cherished gift in the ancient times, to be a Roman citizen, to be a Roman. The greatest nation or empire at that time in the world. There were two, uh, more than two ways to become, but the Apostle Paul used two terms in becoming and talking about becoming a, uh, a citizen of heaven, but he used them because they were part of how you became a Roman citizen. Number one, uh, you could do it by birth. The other was by adoption. And there were others as well. But the Apostle Paul used both of these terms in giving an understanding of how a person comes to know Christ, how a person is saved, how a person becomes a Christian. It was also done by making people proud of Rome, being proud that you were a Roman citizen. So you had new citizens, and, and people who were proud of their Roman citizen would encourage others to go through whatever tracks were necessary to become Roman citizens. 
If you remember in Acts chapter 22, the Philippian jailer said, I bought my citizenship at a great price, but you were born a Roman citizen. Talking to Paul. In that statement, you find that it, there was a great pride in being a Roman citizen, and then a little bit of envy because Paul, Paul was born that way. The jailer evidently had to pay a, a great price to become a Roman citizen. We need to be proud of our Christian citizenship. We don't need to hide it. It was done by setting a Roman example, talking about expanding the borders that Rome had. Now, let me tell you, Rome had its faults. There were many, but it was a higher society at that time than other pagan societies. One example I would give is that from early on, the Romans only had one spouse, whereas most pagan nations had multiple wives. It had moved itself into that arena of understanding family. Again, the parallel continues. As we talk about conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, we are here to secure and extend the borders of heaven, the kingdom of God. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go. Don't just stand around. Don't just be in the stands. Don't just be spectators. But he says, as you go, as you live your life, be that light. Tell people. Jesus also said in Luke 14, 23, in, in a parable, he said, the master said, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so my house may be full. Jesus came out of heaven and the glories of heaven to this place because you and I were sick and we were sinful. And he gave his life on the cross at Calvary to pay for our sins. And then he was raised up from the dead so that we might be justified. So that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. All through the course of time, Jesus was telling us, go, compel them to come. I want my house full. He wants the kingdom of heaven full. He wants people to have eternal life. There is nothing wrong with wanting to secure and extend the borders of heaven. That's why we're here. We need to take that on. And this happens when we are proud of our citizenship in God's kingdom. Have you spent much time thinking about that? Or do you say, well, that's just later on. And yet, didn't we say that your eternal life started at the point of salvation? And so it's something that you really ought to be engaged in right now. Because it is present. And he desires us to be proud of the kingdom. It's not boastful. And it's not trying to coerce others. It's trying to show the light that he gives, the transformation, the hope. Kerry Willis, a strong safety for the Indianapolis Colts. Been with the team for three years. He's 26 years old. Just about to move into uh, new contracts outside of his rookie contracts that would provide millions and millions of dollars. He's walking away this month 
He's retiring at the age of 26. And here's what his announcement was. With much prayer and deliberation, I have elected to officially retire from the NFL as I endeavor to devote the remainder of my life to the furtherance or to the further advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am both humbled and excited to pursue the holy call that God has for my life, which brings me much joy and much purpose. <coughs> Wanting to secure and extend the borders of heaven. Giving up so much materially on this side at such a young age, but the holy call of being a believer in Christ and wanting to commit himself for the rest of his life to the furtherance, to the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's powerful. You see, he's proud of being a citizen of God's kingdom. Heartfelt desire to expand the borders of heaven. And his life, as he's talking about, his, his life in Christ, it brings him joy, he says, and purpose. And I wonder, do you have joy and purpose? Have you had that joy and purpose for a while? Sometimes, I know, sometimes as we get into our senior years, we have been believers for so long. For me, it's been 58 years. I don't know what it's been for you. But sometimes we have the possibility of not being as joyful as we should. Living inside of us. I'm not talking about being giddy all the time. I'm, I'm talking about inside that inner joy and peace that only following Jesus gives. And then that sense of purpose. God has you here for a reason. These senior years are the very best years to do it. You've worked hard all your lives. There are a lot of times that you didn't have time to do all that you wanted to do for the kingdom. And, and now you find yourselves in this position. And with time on your hands, that you have the ability to maneuver around, to pour in and to finish strong. Paul says, even in this stage of life, conduct yourselves. Be all that you can be. Be the Christian example. Let your life weigh as much as it should. Be a heavy weight in the Christian life. Live it out in these years. Until you hear those words, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, Neither demand light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may, listen, see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's more than just growing inner in your spiritual life. But it's got to reflect action. That they may see your good works. And not, not glorify you saying, man, what a Christian you are. No. No, that they may, he says, glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your conduct, let your life weigh as much as it should. And I challenge you this morning, 
to make a difference for God in this world. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Father, as we move into our invitation today, help us to really understand that we are citizens of heaven, first and foremost. And that, God, we don't need to get caught up in all the different things that go on. What we do need to get caught up on is exactly what you desire us to do in the realm of ministry and personal growth and being a witness. And I pray we will understand what Paul was trying to get across to the believers in this colony at Philippi and how it translates into our own Christian life, the way we conduct ourselves. And we're always ready. Always ready to give an answer. Always ready to go, to be a light. Always ready to invest in people. And help us to do it in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, which was a complete sacrifice and glorious resurrection. And God, that should be our standard. So whatever decision needs to be made today by any one of us, I pray that we'll make that decision. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we sing our invitation. supper this morning, focus upon it, conduct yourselves, if you would. Father, we thank you for the opportunity and the privilege that we have to come to the memorial table this morning. 
in reflecting upon your complete sacrifice that provided for the gospel of Christ, God, I pray that we'll prepare ourselves, that we'll look at our conduct, and in this moment, we'll make whatever adjustments that you call upon us to make. So that when we take the Lord's Supper in remembrance of you, that, Father, it is right. And I pray that you would speak to each one of us, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Jesus said, take heed, this is my body. Brother Al, if you'd lead us in a prayer specifically focused upon the bread that we have just had and the juice that we are about to have, representing symbolically the body and the blood of Christ. Father God, thank you for this special moment, special time that we can come and partake of the Lord's Supper. And you command that we should do this in remembrance of you for your great, great sacrifice. That you love us so much, you took a delight in dying for the sins of men. That we might have sweet fellowship with you throughout all eternity. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. The life in the blood, and you sacrifice all your blood. And that Blood never lost its power. Every last drop of it, Lord, is potent. Every last drop of it, Father, gives life eternal. Thank you for your great love. And Lord, we will continue to do this until you come and receive us. Thank you in Jesus' name.
Jesus said, drink from you all of it. For this is my blood of the covenant, which was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you the truth, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the privilege of remembering. And I pray that this service, the time around the memorial table, that Father, it will be remembered. And Father, it will strike a chord within our spirit and soul. And Father, until the next time that we drink of the juice and we take of the bread, that lives will be changed, specifically ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The beautiful flowers on the altar table today are provided by Larry and Judy Super in acknowledgement of their third wedding anniversary, which they celebrated back on June 22nd. Congratulations, Judy and Larry. In both lobbies, there are pink brochures giving you all the information that you need about Lifeline Screening, who will be utilizing our facilities, our CLC area on August the 4th. The instructions are there if you want to take advantage of those test preventive type screenings that they provide. And there's a number there for you to call, not through the church office, but through their 800 or 888 number there that you'll find on the brochure. Men, on Tuesday, 8 o'clock, Frank Johnson will be the speaker for this month's men's breakfast. That was a change from Phil Swab, who unfortunately is dealing with COVID right now, and Frank agreed that he would be your speaker. So <coughs> let me remind you that tomorrow the office is closed. We'll be back to work on Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock. On the back of your bulletin, let me draw your attention to Vacation Bible School. This will be our third year for having Vacation Bible School. It will be on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, July 18, 19, and 20. I'm especially excited because some of our ministry partners are going to be joining us, men from Set Free Phoenix and women from Redeemed Ministry in Phoenix. I hope that you will begin now to pray for those three days and participate. We would love to have you. Those men would welcome getting to know you men and ladies, you ladies getting to know them as well. So I hope that you will plan to participate. It will be from 9 to noon each of those three days. Frank Johnson is going to lead us in our closing prayers. You stand. Aren't you glad you came? Yes. Amen. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for this great day. Our Lord, we thank you for the sermon that we heard this morning. Our Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have that we can come to worship you in a service like this. So, Father, as we go our separate ways, let us remember, in God we trust, God bless America. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.